the marks of a spiritual man. The marks of a spiritual man. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You're dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Father, we need you here this morning, Lord. We need your spirit. We need the anointing, Father, of the Holy Ghost upon this word. Bless it with the oil of your spirit, Father God. I pray in the name of Jesus for exposure, Father. I pray for light. Lord God, to shine into the darkness in the name of Jesus, that you would unveil Christ to us afresh here today, that we could measure ourselves by him and him alone. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> the marks of those that are spiritual are the marks of a spiritual man. You know, the concept of true spirituality varies greatly from one group of Christians to another. You know, you can go in some circles and perhaps it's the more vocal person who is labeled spiritual. In other circles, perhaps the exuberant or the sincere, they're seen as the most spiritual people in that particular group. You move around among Pentecostal people, and uh, what I would call, you know, Pentecostalism as opposed to true Pentecost. And there's this shallow idea that those that run the fastest, shout the loudest, dance the longest, that those are the most spiritual people. And I'll agree that perhaps some of these things, or all of these things, may be found among the spiritual. Even so, these things alone, in and of themselves, do not constitute true spirituality. True spirituality manifests itself in certain desires or motivations in the human being. Desires that are so powerful, powerful enough to motivate, to govern the life of the believer. Amen. The spiritual man has the power of a new affection. A love for Christ that is so overwhelming. That it enables that believer to push all other things aside. In other words, by regeneration. And regeneration is a supernatural miracle of God. If you've been born again, you've experienced the miraculous. If you've been born again, then you have literally experienced what is impossible apart from God. By your conversion, then right power have been established in your life. This is not something that happens after you're born again. To be born again is to be put in a right relationship with God through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we read here in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 our text and it defines this new life. It defines it as first of all risen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you define or would you describe your life as risen
risen in Jesus. Amen. It also says it's a life that seeks those things which are above. Amen. Day by day, moment by moment, that the essence of your life, the center of your being is focused upon heavenly things, eternal things. It'll be manifested in what you do, where you go, your conversation, what you speak of, what you promote, as Brother Charlie here spoke of this morning. It also says that such a life is dead and hid with the Lord Jesus Christ in God. This is how our text defines the spiritual life. It's a lofty, transcendent, heavenly life. Well, we would, you know, to this morning ask ourselves, what are the marks or what are the attributes of such a life? What are the motivations or the driving factors that are a key to such a life? This morning, I want to consider what I believe are the foundational desires of a person that is truly spiritual. Now, I want you to know if you're born again, amen, you're going to have to be spiritual. And if you're spiritual, amen, you're born again. You say, well, I know, you know, there's this thought in churches, well, that's the spiritual part of the church. Or those are the spiritual people. No, those are the Christians because Christians are spiritual. And if you're not spiritual, then you're not a Christian. If you're not spiritual, you're not a Christian. If we lack these governing desires, we're far from spiritual. And not even Christians. There's a need that we be born again or converted. Amen. So here's some things that the Spirit of God just laid upon my heart. Obvious things that I believe are attributes, characteristics of the spiritual man. Number one. The ultimate desire of the spiritual man is to know and to walk with God. That is the ultimate desire of the spiritual. Philippians 3 and 8, the Apostle Paul said unto the Holy Ghost, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things. Now when he said all things, he meant everything else. Everything else, anything else, he counts all that but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen. That tells me that that is the ultimate aim of the Apostle Paul. And I believe we could all agree here this morning that he is an example of a spiritual man. Above all, the spiritual man is a man of prayer. Because it's only through intimate communion with God that we can know God. If you don't have a prayer life, then you know very little about God. Or rather, I should say, if you don't have a prayer life, or your prayer life is very shallow, then you have very little intimate knowledge of God Almighty. The only way that you're going to know Him is to talk to Him and to commune with Him and allow Him to come and to fellowship and to probe and to govern and to correct your life. There's going to have to be a desire. If you want to know God here this morning, then you will know Him. 
And if you don't know God here this morning, it's because you don't want to know Him. Amen. God is light. That's His nature. The nature of God is not to obscure Himself. The nature of God is not to hide Himself. But the nature of God is to reveal Himself. And if you will seek, you shall find. If you will knock, the door shall be open unto you. You're going to find me, says the Lord, in the day that you seek me with all of your heart. If you're hungry for God and you want God, then you'll find Him. But if you're content to do without Him, if you're content to be a Christian without Christ, then that's where you're going to remain. You're going to have to be active and not passive. That's what people are doing. Most of the time they're being passive. They're waiting for something to happen. Something already has happened. Jesus died upon Calvary. And if the love of God displayed through Calvary cannot move you to love and to seek after God, then nothing will. Nothing will. If the revelation of Jesus Christ suffering and dying for you does not provoke you to adore and to worship and to seek and to press in and to pray through to the person of God, then nothing will. See, this is the esoteric, the erroneous spiritual position of Pentecostalism. They're waiting for something to come, some feeling, some to, some service where they can really feel God and they'll have a breakthrough. And the devil keeps them in this place of drifting further and further away from God. When God has, he said, it is finished. He did. What he's going to do for you. Now he is commanding you to repent. In other words, you need to act on my word. He's commanding me. He's commanding you to have faith. To believe. That means to act upon the word of God. And when the word of God says, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. I'm persuaded that God is not a liar. And what he said is true. And if I believe that, I will act upon it. I'll draw nigh to him. That's what the Bible says to us here this morning. And we have to love him. And approach him. Now when the apostle Paul uses the phrase. The knowledge of Christ. He's not merely speaking. About biblical information. Do you understand? Now it's important for us. You know Christianity does involve. Your mind and your intellect. For you to comprehend certain things. For you to. You know be familiar with the doctrines. Of the Bible. No one denies that. Amen. But that's not the primary thing. In fact, I will tell you here this morning, you'll never comprehend the doctrines of Christ if you're not familiar with the living word, Jesus Christ. You can sit under the best teaching. You can have the most faithful pastor. And if your heart is not toward the Lord Jesus Christ, then it will do little good. In fact, it will prepare you for a greater damnation. Who had the worst? Who, who do you suppose has the worst damnation? Think about it. Who do you suppose out of all mankind, if they could be compared, who would who would you say would be under the most 
a weighty judgment in eternity. Could you find anybody more worthy of such a title than Judas Iscariot? He was in the best church. He had the best pastor. He had the best teaching. He had a perfect example. See, if your heart's not right with God, and you don't really want the Lord Jesus Christ, then the more truth you're exposed to, the more accountable you become. And that truth is going to turn to your judgment rather than your redemption. Now when the Apostle Paul here speaks of knowledge, amen, he's speaking of communion. He's speaking of fellowship. He's speaking of love. He's speaking of ministry toward. He's speaking of relationship. He goes on to say in verse 10, amen, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You see, we understand here this morning that he means something far deeper than merely a familiarity with Bible knowledge. Amen. He's talking about intimate relationship. Someone who walks with God and knows God. So the apostle's heart cry, his earnest desire was not merely to know about Jesus, not merely to expound upon the scriptures or to be able to quote the Bible or to answer, you know, the mocker and the gainsayer, although all those things are good, but to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to search out the riches of the person of Jesus, to allow Jesus to do the same, to be an open, transparent door for the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost, to know Him and to search Him out. You know, Jesus talked about a certain group of people. Amen. He said, you know, behold, I never knew you in the day of judgment. He's going to make that confession to them. Listen to me. It's one thing for you to say, you know Jesus, but does he know you? Have you allowed him in? Have you allowed him to probe you, to search you? The greatest desire of the apostle was to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're to truly know God, it will only be through an intimate relationship with Jesus. And, uh, you know, again, uh, we, we've kind of just marketed that whole thought of, you know, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. And it's been spoken so much by the antinomians. And they've, you know, reduced every doctrine to, to no importance at all with statements such as, you know, it's all about a relationship with Jesus. But, you know, we need to fear this morning. We need to be very careful that we don't reject that because it's a truth. But at the foundation, it is about a relationship with Jesus. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, then doctrine indeed will be important. But just, it's not just about studying the Bible. Amen. The Pharisees could quote, amen, the Old Testament verbatim. They knew the law, but they didn't recognize the Lord Jesus Christ when he came, who was the law incarnate. Amen. In fact, true spirituality, if it could be measured, is simply the depth of intimate knowledge you and I possess of the Almighty through Jesus Christ. That's just how spiritual 
until you are. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, you're only as spiritual as the depth of the intimate knowledge that you possess of Jesus. And rest assured, if you're not spiritual, then by and by you will perish. You've got to know Jesus because you've got to follow him. You know, if my only hope and my only rescue is to follow closely after an individual out of a dangerous situation, then it only takes a moment for me to lose sight of that individual. It only takes a careless, you know, afternoon or what have you to become totally and completely separated. Do you understand? You're going to have to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and ever keep Him in your sight in the Spirit. Amen. No one knows God unless He wants God. And that requires time. It requires sacrifice. It requires that you pursue Him. That you set aside time to talk to Him. To share. If you want God to share with you, you're going to have to share with Him. You're going to have to open yourself up. You're going to have to talk. You know, listen to me. This is what what you'd like to see in, in Christians. You'd like to see... An upward, transcendent spirit that is communing with Him who is in eternity. And I can tell you right now, the longer I've become a Christian, the less and less you see such people. Even in the most conservative churches, there is a dearth of men that know God. There's folks that know about God. There's folks that can talk the Bible. There's folks that can quote. We have a a lot of professional Bible quoters. And again, to make no mistake, I esteem the Word of God. I esteem it highly. It's impossible to be spiritual without the Word of God. Don't don't take it that I'm I'm uh, you know undermining quoting the Scriptures. That's absolutely imperative. But I want you to know everything is built on that foundation of your intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are spiritual, then you're you're the, the desire, the ultimate motivation in your life is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The great tragedy in the church today is her almost universal absence of men who truly know and walk with God. Amen. I can remember when I first became a Christian and the the churches that I went to and you know it just seems like I don't know if it was the sovereignty of God or the providence of God but in my life I was placed with men that walked with God, that knew Him, that, you know, they would sit down for an afternoon and they would have a meal with me and they would instruct me in the things of God. They would discuss, you know, the, the larger problems of the church world. But when we went in the prayer meeting, friend, I can tell you what, it didn't take me five minutes listening to those men pray. I knew that they knew God. I knew it. And I can tell you this, I took far more note over what they did at the prayer meeting than what they said over the dinner table. And if I came in a prayer meeting, and listen, any spiritual person would judge this way. If I came into a prayer meeting, a man could have sat down with me, and he could have taught me the truth all afternoon. But if I, if I thought that he couldn't pray for an hour, if he couldn't, if there wasn't, listen to me, I'm not talking about volume, I'm talking about spirit. 
lifting up and communing with God. That's something you can recognize, friend. You can recognize it when people are having communion with God. And if they didn't have that, I wouldn't pay attention to one single word they ever said again. Do you hear me? And it saved me a lot of trouble. That's the way a spiritual man judges. Because he knows the ultimate desire of that spiritual man is to know God. The church that I was discipled in when I first got there... You know, there was prayer meetings, there were a good group of leadership, but over the years things begin to drift to what have you. I've told you this story before, but I believe it will fit here. And I remember we came to a place, and at that time I, had, I was also in the leadership, and uh, the pastor canceled the weekly prayer meeting that we had. I mean, I was amazed. I couldn't understand why we would do that. You know, over the course of time, I saw certain people in the leadership, you know. Of course, you, you, uh, you know, try to think the best, think no evil. You don't receive an accusation against authority. But you'd see just even in the prayer meetings we did have, you know, the leadership just walking around with their hands in their pocket, toothpick in the mouth, just kind of checking out their fingernails or just, you know, not really that uplifting. You're not entering into the person of God and that's a very troubling thing for uh, for sheep to see the under shepherd in that situation amen that's a very troubling thing but then you know they canceled the prayer meeting and uh, I can remember at that time I was fellowshipping with a certain young men that had gotten born again some of them even through the open air ministry and they, they went to a huge charismatic church in Baton Rouge perhaps at that time uh, a church that I believe it would be it would be accurate to say was the worst or one of the worst churches in Baton Rouge. However, some of these young men, I do believe they got genuinely born again. About this time, this is when I met Charlie. He didn't actually go to that church, but a lot of his acquaintances did. And uh, and Jill went there. Some other people that have come here at that time went to the church. But in that college age group, there were uh, you know there was a moving of the Holy Ghost. And I told you about how they started an early morning prayer meeting. And after a year or two, they called me and asked me to visit. And in that prayer meeting, people were I mean there was a gut crying. People were crying out to God and enter, entering in. And as I fellowship with some of these young men you could tell that God was revealing things to them and the scriptures were opening up and they could see the error they were beginning to discern and recognize and I, I can remember that I, the associate pastor of the church that you know that uh, that I went to he, he, he and I were in the office one day and uh, knowing the condition of this church that these young men went to and knowing that I had fellowship with them and that they looked up to me and they esteemed me you know, uh, of course, my, the associate pastor, the pastor, and most anybody in the church could have sat him down and told him that Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and, and the list goes on, could have told him how they were wrong and expounded on the, the error and could have, you know, showed him how the, the, the prosperity gospel was evil and etc. and so forth. And he knowing that, he said, you know, Brett, why don't you encourage those young men to leave that church and come here? You know what I told him? First of all, I didn't say this, but I was ashamed. I was ashamed of our church. This is what I told him. I said, brother, if I visited a town 
And I looked in the phone book and found a church to visit on a Sunday morning. Perhaps even I'm looking for a home church. And I went to that church and it had the best music I'd ever heard. The most glorious praise and worship. Angels flying through the sanctuary. Miracles taking place on the front row. The preacher got up and preached the most sound, orthodox, fiery, uh, seemingly anointed message that a man could preach. I'd say my first question would be when they came up after to greet me, I'd say, when's y'all's prayer meeting? So we don't have a prayer meeting. I said, I would never go back to that church again. Never. They would be fools to come here. You hear me? Now that's a corporate example. But let's apply that individually. Now I can tell you what, friend. If you're restless in a prayer meeting. You know, we can all, and listen to me, I read my Bible, God's dealing with me. I look up things in the scriptures. That's fine. Don't think that I'm speaking against that. But I fear many times people hide behind the Bible. In other words, they get their Bible because they got nothing to say to God. And they just don't know what to do. So let me get my Bible out. See, only you know that. You and God. Maybe you don't even know it. But God knows it. But if you're restless, distracted, sleepy, listen to me. And if you're sleepy in a prayer meeting, it don't have, it's spiritual. Only carnal people sleep during a church service or prayer meeting. I don't care who you are, what you've been through, what your situation is. There is no excuse for it. If you're sleepy, distracted, restless, listen to me. You better wake up. You better not... Listen to the Holy Ghost warn you over and over and over and over again and wait for something supernatural to take place when God is expecting you to pick up your cross, to deny yourself, and to follow Him. You better pray through, church. You better pray through. You better press in. You had better know Jesus. You had better know Him. Or you won't make it. You're not going to make it. You could be placed under the care of Pastor Jesus in the flesh. And if you don't seek God, friend, you are not going to make it. I'm not talking about attending a prayer meeting. I'm talking about knowing Jesus. Talking to Him. Spending time with Him. You had better make it a priority, says God Almighty. You had better make it a priority in this hour. You had better hear and take heed to what the Holy Ghost is telling you. You had better establish a prayer meeting in that house. You had better perhaps establish a prayer meeting late at night. You better hear what God is talking to you. You better hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. And you had better press in, overcome, and be filled with the Spirit of God. Because if you're passive, and you just come in here and sit in your little metal chair and hear the Holy Ghost begging, pleading, wooing and saying, come, come, and you don't do it. You don't have anybody to blame 
but yourself. First of all, and above everything, the ultimate desire of the spiritual man is to know and to walk with God. You know, I believe, listen to me, I can remember particular areas of my my Christian experience where I really pressed in. I can tell you, almost every time, my wife can tell you, when I've really pressed into God, you know what happened? I was afraid to even talk almost. I said, oh God, I've been making another fool of myself. I've been running my mouth. I've been, I can't believe the things I've said. I can't believe the things I've, I've promoted. I, I can't, I'm so dangerous. I, I'm so counterproductive to the kingdom. You see, you've got to have seasons like that. If you're just someone who, you know, can very quickly go into the living room, sit down, and begin to instruct people and, you know, really rejoice. We're going to talk about all the problems and what have you. Listen to me. God wants to talk to you about the problem in your little kingdom. He wants to talk to you about the things that are perhaps not conformed to Christ in your world. And it's true, there's lots of error. Someone needs to speak up. And you know I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But I can tell you what, any group of people that say we got it, I can tell you what, you better be careful. Any group of people says, I know the truth. I've got the truth. I'm walking in the truth. You better make sure that you know Jesus Christ. You are setting a very high and lofty standard that you can only fall from. Listen to me. There's only one place to go when you say, I got it. And that's down, friend. Only one place to go. That's why there needs to be a humility. And a humility, amen, it, it breeds a fear and a mistrust of oneself. It will provoke a man to fall upon the rock to be broken. Secondly, the spiritual man desires to bring glory to God. See, in these things, we've heard them so much that we've just, you know, they're just our little religious creeds. But we really, we, 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 we've lost the ability to apply these things personally. We just talk about it. But oftentimes, the whole concept escapes us. The practical, what does that really mean? That, you know, well, of course I'm spiritual, so my whole existence must be to bring glory to God. Well, is it? There's some fruit to that. The psalmist said, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name. Help me. But help me so that I can glorify you. And deliver us and purge away our sin for thy name's sake. Do you see it? Everything is for the glory of God. I can tell you that motivation coupled with that prayer is going to receive an answer. Yes, sir. But if it's anything else, I want to be delivered for convenience sake. I want to be delivered from sin because sin, of course, has its awful repercussions. If there's not, you know, the foundational motivation, the desire to see Jesus exalted, then it's not the right motive. The truly spiritual will be driven by the honor and the glory of God. Even if it brings dishonor, ruin, and shame to themselves. And I'm here to tell you that many times that's exactly what will happen. You can't promote yourself as wise. You can't promote yourself as cool and hip. 
and at the same time exalt Jesus. No, you're going to have to become a fool for Christ's sake. Yes, sir. You're going to have to appear many times weak that you can be strong. You're going to have to humble yourself. But men with such attitudes of grace, they're easy to spot. When, when, when the motivation is the glory of God, hey man, it's easy to recognize because such men are almost nearly impossible to discourage. Discouragement is not part of the life of an individual who all they want to do is bring glory to God. Why is that, Pastor? Because then correction, suffering, persecution, even pain become privileges that's not just something that men say it's something that they experience it's something that's a reality in their heart rejoice in tribulation that's not so yes I I need to be thank you Jesus that I'm going through it no 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 you've got to have an experience your experience will see and recognize that God is sovereign. Acts 5, 40-41, the apostles are being persecuted, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. They really did that. They didn't get slapped around like we have at Illusions Club. They probably took a a cat of nine tails and beat them until they probably had difficulty walking. Maybe to to even an inch of losing their life, they were truly beaten, scourged, punished. And they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Today, amen, people wonder what did we do wrong? Why don't we have favor? Amen. We need to drive, you know, a Mercedes Benz. They wouldn't beat us like that. We'd have a testimony if we had more money or if we were more popular among the people. But such men rarely, if ever, question the Bible or reconsider the narrow way simply because hardship arises difficulty they're corrected someone says you're not christ-like they don't become discouraged with that they're thankful that light has come it's no longer you see what's best for me and when listen to me if you've got any of that in you what's best for me you're going to become discouraged when it's not best for you and it just shows you're an idolater that's what you are you're a flesh pot a flesh-loving, self-worshipping hypocrite. Listen to me. This is reality. This is how you can know when you become discouraged simply because it's not best for you. It's not convenient. It's not, co- it's not going the way you thought it would. You're worshipping at the altar of self. The spiritual man, it's no longer what's best for me. It's what will bring glory to him. And if bringing glory to him means I need to get beaten, imprisoned, denied, etc., so forth, on and on, then so be it. When this is a foundational desire, we live for God's honor by a natural spiritual reflex. Because it's our nature, and this is the nature of the born-again man. 
of the regenerated man. The will having been conquered and captivated by the beauty of the crucified and risen Christ has set the spiritual tone regardless of the cost. That's not a decision you make moment by moment. That's a decision that you make in the beginning and you maintain it by remaining planted in Christ. You'll find yourself responding properly as long as you're in Jesus. Every choice of life governed by this principle is actually already made before it presents itself. If that's the tone of your spiritual character, then you're going to respond properly and in the Word of God. That's why thy word have I hid in my heart. Amen. That I might not sin against thee. And that word is hit here. If you've allowed Jesus to come in, you've allowed Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart to govern, to probe, to correct, to conform you to his image, then you won't have to worry. When someone smites thee, you're going to turn the other cheek because that's what Jesus would do. And he rules and governs that life. The third mark, the spiritual man delights to carry his cross. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, a lot of, a lot of problems in churches, and a lot of problems dealing with professing Christians, it's all centered around their refusal to deny themselves. And it's the first oracle of discipleship. It's the first thing in the contract. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Jesus established this figurative interpretation of the cross. When I say figurative, obviously, it's not a condition of discipleship that we all literally die on a cross. Amen. So he is establishing a figurative interpretation of the cross as a call to complete surrender to his lordship. So Jesus uses the doctrine of the cross to symbolize two things. First, the death of the old man and his agenda, including the forsaking of all sin. And when I say sin, both in action, in other words, you allow the Spirit of God by the Word of God to define Everything that the law condemns. You see, I separate from that. The moral law. The law of love. But not only that, I recognize, listen to me. I recognize and understand that there is no good thing within me. (laughs) That the law has not only proven that I will act bad, the law has already proven without a doubt that I am bad. There's no way to control me. There's no way to reform me. I'm dangerous. I'm ruthless. I'm an enemy of God. If I'm let loose, I'm going to destroy. I'm going to undermine. I'm an enemy of God at heart. Amen. That's what I am. It's not just what I do. It's what I am. So I've got to deal with the root. I've got to denounce myself. I've got to repent. So repentance, listen to me, the cross recognize, or represents the doctrine of the cross. I have to agree. 
I have to truly see this, that what I do is wrong, what I am is bad. And the only answer is that I would die in Christ Jesus. Secondly, a willingness to emulate, to participate in the person of Jesus completely, even to the extent of martyrdom, if necessary. But you know, many Christians mistakenly think that involuntary mishaps can be defined as spiritual crosses. You know, the cross is always voluntary. The cross is not something that's forced upon you. Jesus wasn't forced to go to Calvary. He laid down His life willingly. He said, I'll lay it down and take it up. The cross is always voluntary. People forget that such things come upon saint and sinner alike. No, the cross is that adversity that comes as a result of our obedience to the Word of God. When you make up your mind to follow Jesus, the out you know, come of that, or the repercussions, the ramifications of following Jesus. You know, we're carrying our cross. If they say you have to sign that, uh, you know, uh, volunteer handbook, the way it reads, you have to agree to uh, point number two, and we refuse to sign that, then our cross is that, you know, we no longer will be able to minister to those inmates via service. We'll be ministering to them by making a stand. That would be accurately, we're faithfully carrying our cross. The cross is not forced on us. It is taken up voluntarily with the full knowledge of its consequences. As we choose to obey Christ in all things, we therefore take up our cross. It is to willingly identify with the person of Jesus as our Lord. We can do nothing else but obey Him. And if that makes someone mad... If that brings on persecution, if it brings on misunderstanding, then so be it. If we're spiritual, we delight in that. We see it for what it is. We can rejoice. Thus the spiritual man rejoices to be a partaker of the sufferings of Christ and to associate with their Lord. Hebrews 13 and 13. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. There is a reproach that comes. There is a certain degree of shame that will be heaped upon the believer as he follows Jesus from the world. And we willingly embrace that. We understand there's no way to evade it or to avoid it. There's no way to explain it to the natural man. He can't conceive. He doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. It's all foolishness to him. There's no way to really defend yourself in this. You just have to embrace it. The spiritual man also is granted spiritual vision from God's viewpoint. In other words, a man who is spiritual has a spiritual mind. Not just that he's familiar with the scriptures, but he sees from God's vantage point. I believe Charlie quoted this today, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's what God says. He says, the way you think, the way you do, that's so different than my way. Now that, that alone, that's what the Bible says. 
Don't you think you need grace? Don't you think you need vision? And if God is at the hilltop and his vantage point is only, you know, granted to those who are on the hilltop with him, maybe you better go up in the hilltop and ask to see things the way God sees them. The spiritual man is resolved to see things from the divine perspective. Or in other words, measured by the Word of God, led by the Holy Ghost. So we must understand that God looks at, now hear me, God looks at and God looks through a situation at the same time. And I know this is, you know, merely human communication. So it's going to fall short in really articulating, you know, the vision of God. But let's put it this way. It's easy for us to understand in the sense that God looks at a situation, but he also looks through the situation at the same time. In other words, God sees the true meaning of everything. He sees the fruit, but he also knows the root. He sees the action, but he knows the motive. He sees the effect, but he already knows the cause. He is looking behind the veil, while he also sees what's in front. He sees God looks at and through a situation at the same time. The spiritual man, due to his resolve and his consecration, he's resolved to never think independently of the mind of Christ. This is a foundational consecration of the will. And when a man makes that consecration, he's born again. He says, I refuse to think independently without the Word and the Spirit. Then God graciously grants him his perspective when needed. Not on everything. But he's given discernment. That's what discernment is. On the other hand, the carnal mind looks only on the situation. He doesn't, it doesn't see through it. It is either elated or cast down by what it sees. And this is how the carnal person lives. They live moment by moment, day by day, judging everything in the natural and many times you see when, when, when people are in a church they're professing to love God hey man they slip into carnality or they may never have been born again and they're nothing but carnal trying to cover it over with the perfume of religion and they'll begin to say this happened and that happened and someone spiritual will come in and say yes but and they'll be huh I never thought about it like that yeah because you're not spiritual. Because you're only looking at it in the natural. But if you're spiritual, God would grant you discernment. And it's true. Listen to me. We all mature in Christ. And a baby Christian is not going to see the same as someone who has been saved for many years. I have to qualify that. Nevertheless, even a baby Christian recognizes and understands the sovereignty of God. Amen. You know, the carnal mind is always just, no matter what you do, you can preach to it. You can tell it. You need to be worried about eternity. You need to think on spirit. It isn't, you can scream that to it every single morning. But see, it's nature. And at its root, it thinks, how does this affect me? And not only how does it affect me, but how does it affect me now? But the spiritual mind is always, what is God doing? How is God preparing me for eternity? 
That's the posture of the spiritual mind. So the spiritual man has been given the spiritual ability to look through things and see them in light of the Word of God. He has the ability to see beyond the surface to the spiritual reality of things. That's what it talks about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when it says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. He's got a divine perspective. He's been given spiritual wisdom. He's not just looking at. Many times he's able to see through. He doesn't know how. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God. It elevates the man. He's able to walk. Now in the Spirit, he's able to operate in the will of God and understand that it is for his glory. The fifth mark of the spiritual man is the spiritual man would rather die right than to live wrong. Job 27 and 8, For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul. You know, every every real Christian, every spiritual man recognizes it'd be better just to live. If it costs me my life, if I have to be humiliated, whatever it is, I would rather that than to bring a reproach upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll not compromise. I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. See, real repentance strikes at the heart and the essence of this nature that is seeking to save itself. You know, I could tell you a lot of stories about people that I've ministered to, but you know, this is something almost universal to different ones, and it's happened many different times. But uh, you know, I've had people, particularly people that have lived with me, and I've really taken oversight in their life and sought to help them and what have you. And they come and they live, and of course, when they come, they're there two weeks, and they, you know, they're ready to teach Bible school. They know everything. They've been been everywhere, done everything. Ask them how old they are. They're 25 years old. If you add up everything they did, they'd have to be 90 years old. Doesn't matter what you do. You bring out a, a golf club, they're an expert golfer. You go, you go to the, the ranch to see, a, 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 they tell you a story of how they, you know, were uh, uh, horse riders or horse, you know, they were jockeys and ranchers and, and uh, you know, rodeo riders. And I mean, everything, everywhere you go, they're an expert. They, they don't want to be taught anything, but they'll teach you everything. You can see, you can see the youngness dripping off the back of their ears. Same thing with the Spirit. As soon as they become a Christian, they're ready to tell everybody how to do everything. Well, didn't long such haughty people get exposed and they fall. Amen? Because a haughty spirit comes before a fall. And what happens is these same people reveal, amen, that they're dangerous and that they don't have the Lord Jesus Christ and His interest at heart. And so you seek to restore those individuals. You know what they do? They get angry because you don't trust them. They get offended because you don't trust them. Because you begin to take a little more oversight. You know, imagine if a man, you took a man in your house, he'd been brought him in, clothed him, helped him, did everything you could to, to love him and to extend your love toward him. He'd been one night, he sneaks over into your daughter's room and rapes her. It'd take a sanctified man 
to love that man. Is that right? And that's exactly what a Christian would have to do. But you know it's all exposed or what have you. And the man is apprehended by the authorities and tried, goes to prison, spends 10 years in prison. He writes the man, you know, from his prison cell, says, I'm sorry. Writes the daughter, I'm sorry, I did you wrong, I raped you, what have you. When I get out of prison, I'm going to need some help though. It'd take a big man to help that man again, wouldn't it? It takes someone who's really right with God to reach out and extend love to that man again. Is that right? I believe so. I believe we'd all recognize that. I believe it would be the duty of any Christian to do that. So the man gets out of prison, knocks on, you know, the Christian's door, and uh, the Christian opens the door and says, you know, here I am, and I, I need help, and can I stay with you a while? And uh, the man takes him in and prays with him, and, you know, reasons with him, and kind of lays out what's going to be the requirements or what have you. And, you know, uh, the man, they hug together, there's a tear, they have a meal together. And uh, before bed that night, you know, the man goes to the back of the house, and his daughter's back there, so he goes with the man. And says, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm not going to let you be alone with my daughter. He becomes very offended and angry. You know what that proves? He's never repented. You know what? If someone really repented, you know what that man would do? Please walk with me to the back. Your daughter's back here. And I've repented of my sin. And part of that repentance was, I've learned. I don't trust myself. This is common in the church today. Because men would rather live wrong than die unto themselves. The spiritual man would rather die than compromise. He's always mindful that he constantly displays either a positive or negative testimony for Christ. And that is the situation. You at all times are either reflecting negatively or positively upon Jesus Christ. There's no way you can escape that. And eyes are upon you at every place. Particularly in a church where you are publicly denouncing sin. For I can tell you, you may now, you may think people don't know who you are. They know you are. They, in fact, let me tell you something. A man that I'm ministering to right now from Centerville who is confiding me, confiding in me over the phone. And he told me just the last time he talked to me, he said, all over Centerville, people tell me all the time that you don't have any love, that your gospel has no love. Well, they know who I am. And they know what I represent. I may not know that. I may go into the auto parts store or into vines or what have you, and I'm oblivious that people, they're just looking, you know, doing their thing, but they, they know there's that guy. He's the pastor of that church, and people, they're out here screaming and hollering at us, telling us we're on our way to hell. You don't think there's a magnifying glass over me? Just like there's one over you? You're a fool if you don't know that. You're a fool if you don't recognize that. And you're even more, listen to me, you're selfish if you don't let that motivate you to live righteous and to have love. Amen. Love will not cast a stumbling block before its brethren. More than life itself, the spiritual desire to be right 
in right standing with God and that is a primary motivation amen let God decide how long I live amen I just want to be right with him let God decide whether I'm humiliated or whether I'm seen as spiritual or not spiritual or whatever it is just let me be right with him The Christian can never afford to do wrong. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, said the apostle. A little compromise has brought a terrible end to many spiritual men. When they begin to compromise a little, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And every spiritual man recognizes this is the way to destruction. If I begin to compromise in one area, then the floodgates will be open. Amen. Lot is a prime example. And Charlie spoke about Lot this morning. He's a prime example of what a little compromise will do. He just pitched his tent towards some. He just made the little soft choice. You know, think about it. On that day, did it really seem that bad? Was he in that bad a place? Well, you know, I believe that Abraham, who was spiritual, could recognize he was in an awful place. That's why many times in the church, you know, a particular individual, they begin to share with you, you know, what they're thinking, the direction they're going to take, and you know, this is awful! But you don't have a lot of fruit to prove that it's awful. You just know, I've never seen that turn out good. A little bit of time later, death and destruction. See, it wasn't based. It's just he's going to go, which, it's, whether he's going to go east or west. Something that simple. You see, it's the pride of life. It's the lust of those eyes. It's a worldly way of doing things. Little soft choice. Little convenient, you know, choices that we make that cater to ourselves. And Lot, Lot lost his wife. He lost his family. He lost his business. He lost his reputation. He destroyed his testimony. And he ended up producing a whole, or tribes of people that became an enemy of God for generations to come. All because he wasn't spiritual. The sixth thing, the spiritual man is more concerned about holiness than happiness. And this kind of flows along together. First Peter 1, 14-16 is obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God calls us to be holy. Holy as He is holy, not happy as He is happy. Though I'm convinced if we will be as holy as He is holy, then we will be happy or blessed as He is blessed. Amen. Hebrews 12 and 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Don't let that word, you know, you know, trip you up or get you in bracketed thinking in the sense, well, you know, I'm modest, I homeschool. I don't listen to Word of Faith doctrine. I don't listen to rock and roll, don't dip, chew, smoke, drink, gamble. Holiness is more far-reaching than that. Are you walking in love? Do you love God with all of your heart, mind? Soul and strength. And if you do, friend, I promise you ain't going to be checking out your shoes in a worship service.
Amen. You're going to be talking to Him who is the object of your affection. You're not going to have a fine, you know, when you, when you first fell in love with your wife, amen, when there was romance, you, you didn't have a hard time spending an hour with your wife, did you? You couldn't wait to get back in her presence. You could talk about anything. Why? Because you're in love. That's what love will do. Now, if holiness is a condition for seeing Jesus, as we read there in Hebrews 12 and 14, certainly it must be a requirement for true spirituality. To walk in the Spirit rather than walk after the flesh is to be willingly led by the Holy Ghost in the narrow path of holiness. And the Bible says if you despise holiness, you don't despise man, you despise God. You know, holiness is full consecration. There's not, you know, different, you know, there's this kind of Christianity, then there's this kind of Christianity, and then there's this kind of Christianity. No, he said, I word you hot or cold, right? All or nothing. That's it. If you're anything other than that, I'm, you're making me nauseated. You make me sick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you up. That's what he, you make. I'm, I'm, I'm going to regurgitate. I don't want you in my body. You're not going to remain in my body. I'm going to spit you out. So it's all or nothing. And if you're not all, and all is full consecration. That's what holiness is. Full consecration to God. And if you despise the call, the commandment, the urging, the prompting, the wooing, the probing, the motor, saying, give all, give all, give all. If you, if you don't like that, you're not despising me. You're not despising another preacher. You're despising God Almighty. You're opposed to God Himself. It's not the messenger. That's the message of the gospel. The spiritual man eagerly yields himself to God's grace. His greatest fulfillment is in doing the will of God. Listen to me. If God is pleased, that's what makes a spiritual man happy. He may be uncomfortable. He may be in a horrible, difficult place in the natural. But if this makes God happy... If this pleases God, then I'm happy. He's happy. I'm happy. Jesus said, if ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. That's what true happiness is. Doing, fulfilling your duty before God. The spiritual man walks in the Spirit. Therefore, he's continually being conformed to the image of Christ. But the carnally minded are not so. They live by the law, the temporal law of the flesh. And inevitably will be again fashioned according to their former lust. If you give yourself to the law of the flesh, then that's what you're going to live after. And if you live after to the flesh, friend, the Bible prophesies you will die. What's the answer? You got to press in. I'm going to sit at church passively in one day and thank God for the preaching of the word. Once again, I, and God is reaching out to all of us through the declaration of his word to prick the conscience, to, to, to provoke, to, to call us unto himself. Yes, but if you sit here passively and you hear this and you don't respond, whether you feel anything at all, God didn't ask, when you feel it, then do it. No, no. You discern, is that the truth? 
You know, if I sat before you, two, you know, plates of food, exactly the same, you know, let's say it was a, a, a ribeye steak prepared medium well and uh, with, a, you know, a, a, a baked potato and some corn, and I placed those two plates before you, and I said, this one on the left, hey, Benny, is hot, but it's got poison in it. And this one on the right is cold, amen, but it's healthy. You don't sit there and feel around and say, this is warm and more. You, you know it's got poison in it. Don't eat it. In the spirit, it's the same thing. If you know it's the truth, you better, you better act upon the truth. The obsession of today's church for temporal happiness and temporal comfort is proof that the spiritual flow of life has been all but cut off. You say, I know it healing place. That's the way they live. I'm telling you, almost every battle we fought here as a church, right there at the root, people making little soft choices. They want happiness, convenience. They want to be comfortable right now. Amen. Not just the Word of Faith movement. Not just TBN. Not just the Seeker Sensitive movement. But it's CFF. Just an obsession. With being happy today, getting what I want, rather than doing the will of God. And then my marriage is not the way I want it to be, so I'm going to try to fight and wrestle, and I'm going to rebel against my husband. I don't like the way they, you know what you want? You want to be happy instead of holy. That's what that is. You want to be happy instead of holy. The Bible says, submit yourself to your husband. Husbands obey their wives, whatever it may be. There's a thousand different scenarios. You know, I always dwell with the wife or deal with the wife. You need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Not just treat her like some poodle. Not just go around barking commands at her in front of people. And then scared to death of her every other day. Amen? That don't make you in charge of your household anyway. Just because you get me some tea, woman. That'll make it. And you're only making a fool of yourself. And if indeed you're not really in charge of your household. If there's a war going on there. That day you've got to be spiritual. I've probably produced some of that. The reason that I speak so. You don't see me talk to my wife like that, do you? I don't do that because I don't have to. Amen. But I wouldn't, that isn't the, that isn't the front that I would fight the battle on. I'm trying to give, you know, folks courage to be the man. Amen? Not to be just publicly, you know, sh- uh, some kind of male chauvinist, some kind of, you know, I'm gonna try to show off that I'm a man. And then your whole house is out of order. No, you need to be spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. You need to be, yes, in charge of your household. But you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You need to pray for your wife. You need to fight. You need to be consistent. Amen? She needs to see that you are spiritual. And if you're spiritual and she's born again, she'll follow you. If you're spiritual and she won't follow you, she's on her way to hell. She should follow you even if you ain't spiritual. But I'm just saying, if you're going to set your house in order, you're going to have to be spiritual. You're not just going to, you know, bark out commands and get things right. You're going to have to be a spiritual man. Amen?
The chief end of secular humanism is the happiness of man, while the ultimate end of true Christianity is the glorification of God. If we serve God for the fulfillment of our own selfish desires and ambitions, this is not true spirituality, but rather apostasy, and it is the root of all the apostasy all over the earth. You know, you think about the American dream, the whole concept of what it is to be successful in America, or to have a, you know, a successful family, the notions that are behind that conjure up more something like a, a Norman Rockwell painting than the New Testament. You really look at the New Testament. You read, you know, the missionaries of old. They gave up their sons and daughters to go on the mission field. They didn't have a nice country home. And I know there's nothing wrong with that. I live in a country home. But listen to me. If I've, if I've served God and I've avoided the real path just so I can stay here and live in America and stay in that. Listen to me, I'm on my way to hell. You hear me? There's nothing wrong with these things. To have a family and a house and two cars and all these things. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But what is our motivation? Wesley said of one of his Methodist societies that he deemed less than spiritual, I doubt if they had been made perfect in love because they come to church to enjoy religion instead of how to learn how they can become more holy. This is an army that you've joined and you're here to learn to fight. And the last thing here this morning, the spiritual man esteems others better than himself. Romans 12 and 10, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. The true heart of Christ is to see others lifted up to God no matter the cost to himself. To promote the kingdom in others' lives. Now that may not always be recognized as love. Amen? But that is the position of heart that the spiritual man has. Greater love hath no man than this, said Jesus, than a man lay down his life for his friends. The man who follows Christ above all yearns to see others edified in Christ. First Corinthians 10 and 24 says, Let no man seek his own, but every man another man's wealth. That we would be here to see other people pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would be something that would dictate to us, or it would be there always having this principle in mind as we make decisions. How's this going to affect the kingdom? How's this going to affect my relationship with God? And how's it going to affect others? I mean, how's this going to affect my testimony? How is this going to affect other people? Truly spiritual men have no envy in their hearts. They're not bound or hindered by jealousy, offense, or bitterness. If it pleases God to honor a member, uh, another uh, individual within the body, or to bless another person in the body, another brother and sister, then the truly spiritual man rejoices just the same. There's not that envy Jealousy. Why, why is this person getting blessed and why can't I get blessed? Why does this person get to experience that and I'm, you know, secret things that happen in the dark? There's no competition. Charlie's talked about this between those who are truly spiritual. 
for they're of the same body. Philippians 2 and 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know the only place that can take place? And the only way that that can take place? There has to be the absence of self-centeredness. Because even at the earliest, you know, you see little Lukey over there. Look at me, Luke. Ludie. He looks sweet, doesn't he? And I love him. He's my youngest son. And I like him a lot when they're that age, you know. And doesn't he look, he looks sweet. I mean, to me, of course, I'm his father. But I would think you would agree that he looks pretty sweet. But you just take one John Deere tractor. One little John Deere tractor. And you put him in there with Joshua and Elisha. And there's almost bloodshed. Just stick them in a room by themselves. One tractor. Put it down. Shut the door. And walk out. You can almost set your watch. Ain't going to be ten minutes. They're going to have a fight. That's the truth. Every time. You hear me? They're going to have... Why? Their nature. Self-centered. And you know, adults, as you live on, you learn to cloak that. Some people do, some people don't. They redirect it in a different channel or what have you. But unless there's been true regeneration, unless there's really been a spiritual change, that thing is there. And I can tell you, it won't get along with one another. It ain't never going to get along with anybody because it worships at the altar of self. And unless it can get its way, it's going to be disgruntled. It's going to be contentious. Amen. It's going to be difficult to deal with. The spiritual man esteems other. But that's a supernatural posture of heart that only comes when men have been born again. Hallelujah. Stand with me here this morning. Praise the Lord. The marks of a spiritual man. May God give us ears to hear it. To measure ourselves by the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to open these altars here this morning. Why don't you come and pray about what's been talked to us about here. What the Holy Ghost has said to us. Let's pray about it in the name of Jesus. You know when you come to the altar. The altar is a place of covenant. You don't just kneel down because the pastor said. Why don't we come in the altar. But you truly bring these things before God. By the blood of the Lamb. And you pray over it. And you make covenant. You say Lord. This is what you told me here this morning. And I I know that I'm here. Because you wanted to say this to me. Me. And Lord, I'm I'm convicted about this area or that area. There's particular marks that you said would be a, a, a you know among the spiritual, and I see these things in my life as there's a lack here or there's a lack there. And Father, I'm asking you, Lord, because you told me this, you love me, and you spoke to me and corrected me because you want me to be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to make a covenant with you. You've spoken. And you've taken truth, specific truth, out of your word. And you've applied that truth divinely to my life here this morning. And you've done so because you want to deliver me. You've done so because you want to supernaturally sanctify me by the word of truth. And Lord, I yield myself to you. I want to be made into the image of Christ. These areas that there's a lack in my life. Father, I'm giving you myself. 
yourself afresh today in the name of Jesus, because of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, and I am believing you to conform me to His image. That ought to be our prayer here today. Father, I pray, Lord God, in Jesus' name, I pray for each of us here. Father, you have spoken to us. We do pray. We submit ourselves to you. Different areas, Lord God, where we may be convicted or exposed. And Father, we know you spoke to us not to discourage us, not to destroy us, Lord God, but you spoke to us that we might be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We give ourselves afresh to you, Father God. And we ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, raise us up. Give us eyes to see. We need grace, Lord, to think right thoughts. And Lord God, to walk according to your word. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. We're in great need, Father God. We pray that you would draw us unto yourself. Give us grace to pray, to press in, to pray through. Lord, show us where we've been passive. Oh God, we want to be active. We want to respond rightly to the word of God. We pray, Lord, purge our hearts from unbelief. Purge this house from unbelief. And Father, draw us unto Yourself. Expose all sin, all carnality, Lord. All dishonesty or insincerity, any hypocrisy. Let it be exposed in our own life. Let it be exposed in this church. Let it not dwell. Let it not find a place of residence or rest in our own bosom or on the pews of this church, Father. We agree, Lord, asking you to bring light, to bring exposure, to bring grace, Lord God, that we can be who you've called us to be. We ask it in the name of Jesus. We believe you for it. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.